either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Ooh, boy, a lot of movies to get to in the screening room this week, and I wonder why. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. We're from madwolf.com. And, uh, yeah, everybody, I think, getting out of the way of Avengers Endgame next week. Probably a good idea. Right, right. We'll find out. So a bunch to talk about, and we'll probably move through them pretty quickly. Nobody likes an overlong podcast. So let's get (laughs) at it. First, it's uh, ignoring the eerie warning of a troubled mother suspected of child endangerment. A social worker and her own small kids are soon drawn into a frightening supernatural realm, the curse of La Llorona. Can I ask you a question, Father? Do you know anything about La Llorona? The weeping woman. It's a folktale. Too some. Stay in the car, okay? And please don't wake up your sister. Oh my god. Ah! Ah! It's your fault! I tried to stop her! Who did you try to stop? La Llorona. So this is tangentially connected to the Conjuring universe. That's a big word. <laughs> there's one There's one uh, really small scene where a, a character who's only in it for about a minute and a half is also a character in Annabelle. Cre- Annabelle. Yeah. And, uh, but other than that, this is really a standalone spooky story. But it's, it's got a lot of the same earmarks of some of the Conjuring films. There's not a lot of uh, special effects. Most of it's practical effects. It takes place in one spooky house, and there's like a shadowy figure that comes after them. And in this case, it's uh, sort of the, the cursed ghost of this murderous mother from the 1600s who sets her sights on uh, the two children who live with Linda Cardellini, who people might know from Green Book. Mm-hmm. She's the wife in Green Book. Yeah. She's also Velma from the <laughs> Scooby-Doo movies. Yeah, uh, and Velma-Doo. Mo- that's right. And this is set in the 70s, so appropriately enough, the kids at one point are watching Scooby-Doo, which I thought was hilarious. Nice. And also good parenting. She does a nice job in this movie. She really does. She's got, She's just a very natural performer, I think. And and there are, are, are three series of, of two children, right, siblings, and in, in every case, the kids do a really nice job. Um, I think that the, the 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 film falters a little bit in that it just doesn't have a lot that's new to say, especially kind of inside this universe where we keep seeing like one often female spook haunting one specific place, but it's not the house that they're haunting. They've attached themselves to you, so wherever you go, there's so much in the storyline uh, in the tensions that are too familiar and where you know the farther you go back in the conjuring series the more interestingly they're played out like if you remember the first one that you know god that was scary yeah and you know one of the great things about the conjuring as we've mentioned many times it does such a great job with the practical effects which they do do that here just not as well it's also set in the 70s um but they just everything seems yeah a little bit more tired and not done as with any with as much creativity and freshness but the one thing i think that surprised both of us is this for some reason is rated r i am yes i'm with you on that i was very surprised by it there is no blood no blood um and there are no f-bombs so honestly for the life of me, I can't figure out why this movie got an R rating, and I'm afraid it's going to kill it at the box I office. I think it's really going to hurt it, yeah. They're going to lose that, that PG-13 horror crowd yeah. that, that likes, a lot of times, likes 
the jump scares that this movie delivers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, because, because you know, and, and this is kind of our area, but people who seek out R-rated horror are looking for something more horrifying than what they're going to find in The Curse of La Llorona. It's not that it's, I mean, it's tense, it's spooky, it's passable, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it I, I really think that it's missed its audience possibility potential with this R rating. Yeah, we shall see. So kind of a, just a middle of the road yeah. um, recommendation if you like jump scares for La Llorona. Next up is the latest Disney Nature Earth Day Documentary, story of Steve, an Adelie penguin, on a quest to find a life partner and start a family. It's called Penguin. <laughs> Next Earth Day, Disney Nature invites you to join an extraordinary couple Aww. fighting to raise a family in one of the most unforgiving and stunning places on Earth. Disney Nature's Penguins, Earth Day 2019. Another beautiful-looking Earth Day movie from Disney. Yeah, if you've seen any of these, you pretty much know the playbook. The footage is going to be just incredible, sometimes breathtaking, and that is the case here. They get they go to Antarctica mm-hmm. and get this just incredible, incredible narrative they construct it with all the different footage they have and they run it through this penguin that they name Steve. <laughs> and he's finally an adult. He's single and ready to mingle on the on the big migration, you know, to the mating grounds. And the, the males have to go first and build the nests. And uh if if they had made a mate before, then they are the mate will find them again. But if like Steve, you're new to the game, you gotta build an impressive nest and impress the ladies. <laughs> And then uh, he can find a mate that they call Adeline. And uh, and then they you know start a family, and they have to keep the chicks safe through not only the harsh weather, but the predators that are around and, and um, you know, nurture them until they're old enough to fend for themselves. So it's, it's um, you know, the footage is never a question in these documentaries. For me, the ones that kind of falter are the ones where the narration is just a bit too manipulative, which happened last time out with Born in China. Right, right. I mean, some of that footage, oh my lord, how oh, great. Oh, yeah. But the narration was just so forced. This one is not as much. Ed Helms does it, and um, some of his little asides as as Steve is waddling along and he sees a, a female, he's like, ooh, i got to start working out. <laughs> you know, she smells great, something like that. <laughs> you know, it is just funny enough for the parents. And again, it, with the playbook on these movies, you can expect more... Uh, an emphasis more on accessibility for the family than science. Sure. I mean, you do learn a few things, right. but it's not really, a, a, you know, really um, getting into the nuts and bolts of science of these things because they want to make it a good family adventure, and it will be a delightful one for the kids. It's it, though it's one that's clearly going to draw comparisons to March of the Penguins, yeah. and they know that they address they that head do. on. And they, it's it's it, well, it's similar in a lot of ways. It's actually a completely different type of penguin. Yeah, it is. It's an Adelie penguin. The March of the Penguins was the Emperor penguin, right. and on his way to the mating ground. It's funny, they have Steve, or who knows if it was really Steve. Because <laughs> they, they found... kind of look alike. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they have a, a, a sequence where the penguin goes through a family of emperor penguins. Then you realize, hey, <laughs> those were the penguins we saw in March of the Penguins. So they have a little fun with that. But yeah, I mean, the kids are going to like it. It it just briefly touches on the harsh relationship between predator and prey. You don't really have to worry about the kids getting horrified right, right, right. by some little you know, penguin getting eaten. There is a, a, a sequence where they're in some peril, right. but they do get out of it. So don't have to worry about that. And for the parents, you know, you're going to 
uh, you're going to notice some some nice nostalgic odes to raising young ones, <laughs> and also they throw in if you're of a certain age, they throw in some classic hits that you're gonna <laughs> that you're gonna like. So all in all, it's just another winner from from Disney Nature uh, Penguins. I think it's one the whole family um, can, can enjoy, and just not not as forced as some of the other the other nature documentaries. There have been a couple. Um, where I thought, you know what, if we just turn the sound down and just just yeah. really enjoy this footage, yeah. this one not so much. This one has some some warm uh, some warm chuckles about it, and I think uh, most people will find it pretty delightful. That's penguins. Next, we've got a true life tale: a 14 year old son drowning in a lake, and then a faithful mother praying for him to come back from the brink of death and be healed. It's breakthrough. Boys, get off the ice. We're training for the Olympics, sir. <laughs> Cindy! He's been underwater for more than 15 minutes. It's gonna be a recovery, not a rescue. I got something. We got him! We've done everything medically possible. There's nothing more we can do. Please, God, send your Holy Spirit to save my son. So right in time for, of course, Easter weekend, we have a faith-based film. And often, these are really not very well-made. No, but that's not the case here. No, it's not. That's one of the things in the faith-based, as that genre has grown, and it really has over yeah. the last several years. The, the, some of the ones that I've seen have just shown a real... Taking, they're taking their audience for granted. Right. Like, we know you're there. You're going to come. We think you're going to come just because of the subject matter. And we really don't have to try too hard with right, this, right. these filmmaking basics. No, this one doesn't. Um, it's, it's driven. It's an incredible story, first of all. You may remember it from, I think, four years ago. John Smith, a Missouri teen, fell through some thin ice and was actually had no vital signs for about an hour wow. before he got some signs of life again. And then he has now completely recovered. So it's a pretty amazing story. And, yeah, according to the movie, in in the doctor's notes, he wrote, Mother Prayed. Uh, and they really do a, a, a smart move, I think, in running the story through the character of the mother and her strength and her commitment to uh, seeing that her son come out of this. And they get a great performance as the mom by Chrissy Metz, who you probably know from This, this is, is Us. Us on TV, which we don't watch, but I guess a lot of people love that show. Oh, yeah. I think it's won, like, all of the TV Oscars, that you, <laughs> yeah. or the Emmys that you can win. Yeah, so she show, she delivers a real touching performance as the mom. And they also, even though they do still work in some broad, idealized strokes that a lot of these movies do, mm -hmm. they find a nice groove in the relationship between the mother and her pastor, who's who's played by... Topher Grace. Topher Grace, in a real engaging performance. He's kind of a young guy, with, and, and she's a little bit wary of him because he's got in her eyes a punky haircut didn't really look that way to me but all right and he wants to bring Might a, be a little too hip yeah he too wants, hip for her he's trying to bring a hipness and, and some more people into the church by being a little more with it you know uh, and they have a nice relationship as she comes to accept him and bring him into the into the family and it's it sort of sets up a nice parallel with how I think this movie is trying to broaden the reach of these faith-based films and for the most part they do a good job of that they can't Completely, the, the director and the writer are both TV veterans. Right. Uh, not much, um, not much big screen experience. I think this is a debut for the director. Roxanne Dawson is her name. But for the most part, they do a, a fine job in keeping the real heavy head handedness at bay. Not completely. There are moments that sneak in there, and uh, and they also do. They toward the end of the movie, they do take a a little bit of a pass at the um, at a at addressing 
the people that might say, well, why did you get healed and not my mom who has cancer? And then he has to look at himself. Why, you know, why, why me? And a little bit of survival's, survivor's guilt there. So that was ambitious. It's not fully fleshed out, but I think the fact that they even tried to address it, I appreciate it. So even though the, it's not completely successful in, um, you know, getting rid of some of the real heavy tropes that these uh, films sometimes rely on. They do manage some moments of real authenticity in, in telling what really is an incredible story. I mean, if you look at some of the true the true life details of it, the fact that he recovered from this is just insane. Right. That he was able to do it. So and then, you know, and there are some things in this world we can explain. So whatever you choose to believe in, I think this movie handles a lot more of the, you know, basic filmmaking anchors, you know, yeah. a lot better than most of these films. Yeah. We'll keep it on the young side next with Violet, a shy teenager who dreams of escaping her small town and pursuing her passion to sing. It's called Teen Spirit. Somebody said you got a new friend. This round is extremely competitive. You'll be up against some of the best singers in the country. Does she love you better than I can? Sing from here. Mom, mom, mom. You can do this, Violet. Sing from your heart. I never dreamed I would make it this far. Life comes down to these moments, Violet. <sighs> Don't take them for granted. You know, anytime I see that Elle Fanning is attached to a film, I think, good. Yeah, she's good. She's, she's very good. Very she's very good. good in everything. Very good. But I have to say that I think I've seen Elle Fanning attached to this particular movie a few times too often. Yeah, even... An animated movie that covered a lot of the same ground. Yeah, because so in this case, she wants to be a singer and she wants to leave her small town and become a singer. Uh, in uh, The Neon Demon, she wanted to be a model and she wanted to leave her small town behind and become a model. In Leap, the animated film, she wanted to be a dancer and leave her small orphanage behind and become a dancer. You know, and even uh, um, How to Talk to Girls at Parties from from last year, she is, she's an alien and she wants to become a, an earthling. But she becomes a punk rock star instead. It's it's just shocking to me how many times Elle Fanning has basically made the same movie. And to be honest with you, none of them are very good. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. Especially um, as great as she is, this one relies on Elle Fanning doing her own singing. And she certainly can can carry a tune, but when she's relied on to you know, go to the front of people auditioning for a, a TV show, they're, it's, they're really not that good. No, because one of the things that they point out as she goes through these different auditions to be on what amounts to kind of a, it's the, the show itself is called Teen Spirit, and it's being held in London, but they're having the, you know, hometown auditions, and mm -hmm. she's on the mm -hmm. Isle of Wight. And uh, so she's got to audition for the audition for the audition. You know, she's got to make her way through all these different yeah. steps to yeah, yeah. get to be on the TV show. And what they keep the judges keep saying is she's got a great voice, but she needs to work on everything else because she's kind of a misanthrope and doesn't have much stage presence. But she also doesn't have much of a voice. No way she's going <laughs> to beat all of these other people on when they're telling you all she has going for her is her voice because. As very talented as Elle Fanning is, she's not much of a singer. And so I was it was a curious move to me. Mm -hmm. If she can't sing, why didn't they just have a good singer spot her? I don't know. Yeah, this is uh, it's writer director Max Minghella, who's uh, done a lot of acting yep. and now moving into filmmaking and yeah, he covers a lot, you know, the the star the soulless star maker yeah. and what you have to give up to get your fame. You yeah. know, certainly roads that we've been down, not only before, but as you mentioned, we've been down them before in movies starring Elle Fanning. <laughs>
<laughs> even even that animated film Leap. Yeah. There she wanted to be a star dancer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've certainly seen it, and this just doesn't really bring enough that's new, that's no. fresh, a, a, a different voice to it. No, and the other thing, I mean, there are a couple, she's an interesting character because as opposed to being sort of a, a bashful girl who needs to find her voice, she really is an, a sullen, unlikable young woman, which I appreciated that they made that change. And then also, she finds this mentor, uh, basically a, a drunk old man at a bar because her mom won't go with her and she's too young to go on her own. And he turns out to be a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. And there's something sort of gritty indie movie d- drama feel about their relationship but the the larger story about that kind of soulless what you have to give up to become that is so toothless in this film that you wonder why even bother with it yeah. um and you know and and there's just not that much really to recommend about this movie it's not like it's terrible it's just that it's we've seen it before and we've seen it better exactly and that's teen spirit Next up is one that's not going to need a whole lot of explaining. A documentary presenting Aretha Franklin with choir at the New Temple Baptist Church in L.A. in January of 1972, Amazing Grace. Now, young lady that we've all been waiting to hear, she can sing anything, anything. My sister is Aretha Franklin. time perfectly for Easter weekend, right? Yeah, I mean, if you want chills, this <laughs> yeah. is the movie you want to go if see. If you can't make church, just uh, queue up this movie or, or, or go to go to the theater. I'll tell you what, this is one that's been a long time coming. It was the original plan was for a TV special with this footage from director Sidney Pollack. Yep. And he's in the crowd, and he gets half of a director's credit here, because that was the original intent when she recorded this Amazing Grace gospel album, which I think even today, may still be the largest-selling gospel album ever. Uh, but because of, uh, apparently, some technical problems syncing up the, the sound with the footage, they never did anything with it. I also think there were some, some objections from the Aretha Franklin camp and from Aretha herself when, when she was alive. But they got that ironed out, and uh, another producer, uh, director, Alan Elliott, came in and got it finished with the new technology. And I'll tell you what, just... Just sit back and, and marvel at this. I mean, you've got her in 1972. She already was pretty much a living legend, yeah. but she's in total, total control of this once-in-a-lifetime voice, singing these songs that she grew up with, because mm-hmm. her, her father makes an appearance as well, Reverend C.L. Franklin. He comes in and talks a little bit, and, and she's backed up by this incredible choir, Reverend James Cleveland and his choir, uh, directed by a guy named Alexander Hamilton, by the way. <laughs> Then they're just, I just can't even tell you. You got to see it, you got to hear it. It is soul stirring. Uh, What she can do with her voice with seemingly so little effort is just amazing. And the effect that she has on the crowd, which includes, by the way, a couple of members of the Rolling Stones who dropped by to check. And probably could have used some churching up. (laughs) Exactly right. (laughs) I mean, you can tell how how she moves this crowd, even in the. stop start of, of filming as filmmaking does, you know, and, and that little bit of that is included for context. I mean, just the performances, I, you know, you just are you're grasping at superlatives and remind you in case you've forgotten 
What kind of a, a once-in-a-generation, once-maybe-ever voice Aretha Franklin had, and especially when she wraps herself around some of these gospel standards and some some modern medleys, some modern arrangements of some uh, of some of these mixed with a, a pop tune or two, which mm. are, are stirring. So it's just it's just tremendous. It's just tremendous. And if you can find it on the big screen, uh, by all means, check it out before it comes to home video because it'll be worth owning on home video for sure. But uh, find it on the big screen and check it out. We'll move to the West next, a modern Western about two sisters who work outside the law to better their lives. Little Woods. I'm sorry. It's been a rough time for a lot of people. Trust me, if you saw the house, you'd pay us to keep it. <laughs> Where are you going to get the money, Ollie? I'll figure something out. This is the feature film debut from writer-director Nia DaCosta. If you know that name, it's probably because she has been pegged to direct the reboot, uh, Jordan Peele's reboot of Candyman. Yay! That'll we're be, excited about that'll be that. next year, right? Yeah. Looking forward to that. But yeah, this is her uh, debut. And it and it's um and it, it's an interesting look, fascinating really, and incredibly well directed. Uh, and incredibly well performed. Look at basically American poverty. It's these two young women who find themselves trying hard not to do the wrong thing, but in some dire straits. And one of the things I really like about it is that it doesn't really ever sort of glamorize or vilify any of it. And it makes some really potent points about American poverty. Mm -hmm. um, it's compelling from beginning to end. And again, so it's Tessa Thompson and Lily James who play sisters, and they are both amazing. Tessa Thompson, wow, what a what an actor she yeah. is. Yeah. And you know, it's um it looks uh pretty amazing and every performance in it is is really just wonderful. I, I highly recommend Little Woods. Next we have a story of paranoia and superstition in fifteenth century Europe. It's called Hagazusa a Heathen's Curse. This is a small little movie, but if you loved The Witch, I think you should look into it. I, I loved The Witch. I know that you did. <laughs> uh, this is more, uh, really, poetry than anything that you should be taking literally. It's incredibly beautifully shot. It's really quite hypnotic. And it centers on a young woman who's basically ostracized from the nearby village. She's a goat herder, as her mother was before her. There are very few questions that are answered in this movie, so you need to just let go and, and accept the poetry of it. But it's really about... Is it madness? Is there something malevolent afoot? Is it sort of some straddling that in some way as mass hysteria and paranoia kind of take place in a pre-enlightened Europe? It's And it's just a beautifully shot, really mesmerizing witch tale. And it's writer-director Lucas Feingenfield, I believe. And uh, yeah, a lot of the, the witch's tales are going to have that fear of, you know, mass hysteria mm -hmm. and paranoia mm -hmm. associated with them as, you know, if you do any reading on the history of uh, witches and the witches scare that's very appropriate yes. to do that and uh, this one is probably in limited release I think but if you can find it and you like this sort of stuff and you like a good witch's tale and boy we do yep. might be worth checking out next we have the story of the 1819 Peterloo massacre where British forces attacked a peaceful pro-democracy rally in Manchester it's the latest from writer-director Mike Lee Peterloo we are on the brink of liberty. We demand 
that our suffering cease. Now is the time for action. Now! The corrupt order will come crashing down! Yeah, so Mike Lee follows up, really, his masterpiece from a few years ago, another uh, British historical drama called Mr. Turner. How yeah. amazing was that And he's had movie? a lot of great movies. I really like his stuff. It's Secrets and Lies and Topsy Turvy and Happy Go Lucky, Another Year, and yeah, Mr. Turner. But here he's back in a historical-based drama. And this is a little different for him in a couple of areas. First of all, running time. This one yes, runs a little longer. It does. Runs a little longer and gets real more into the nuts and bolts of a historical event. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways it was probably appealing to him because of of some parallels with contemporary politics in, in England, which I completely understand. Mm-hmm. The, but it's it's really uncharacteristic of one of his films. You you lack all of the character-driven intimacy that you tend to find in his films, and he foregoes that for, you know, kind of mob scenes and big crowds, and also a lot of speechifying, which is common in these kind of political thrillers, but it just doesn't gel. And especially, you go into a Mike Lee film with high expectations, mm-hmm. and he just can't quite meet them. And we'll go back to the pop music world for this last one, an original pop musical film about six strangers who get stuck on a New York City subway together and change each other's lives in unexpected ways. It's called Stuck. Why are we stopped? Your guess is as good as mine. Maybe it's all about the chance. Maybe life is just a dance. What's your story? Are you, like, a drug addict? You're going to get stabbed in the face. He's not going to stab. You're not going to stab. <laughs> We're just trying to get to where we're going. Quite right, my lady. Quite right. This one has been floating around for a couple of years, now yes. getting a wider release. The review on MadWolf.com was uh, written by one of our other writers, uh, Rachel Willis, and she, I think, aptly described it as kind of a crash mentality. If you remember the, the crash movie that somehow won, won the Oscar a few years ago, it was several years ago now, kind of a crash mentality set to music. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot of good feels and not a lot of real explanation as to how we get there. I think it's a little too self-congratulatory. The music is interesting. The lyrics are interesting. But the actual performances and kind of the, the overall tone is, is, a, yeah, is a little self-congratulatory and doesn't really deserve those congratulations. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Heading to the lobby to find out what's new in home video, and a couple led by Glass. And uh, boy, this is one I can't remember when I was looking forward to a movie more than Glass, because I love Split so much. And and this one, it's not great. I think in my written review, I was looking at it the other day again, and I described it as a movie that's, that's easy to respect but hard to cheer for. I think that that is an apt description. I also think that this movie really did not benefit from high expectations. I mean, people just, I think they were, not just you, so many people were so eager for this, and it just, again, it did not meet those expectations. It's not that it's a bad movie. It's not it's entertaining. The performances are great. James McAvoy, again, is amazing. It's just not as good as we'd hoped it would be. Yeah, if you're going to ask me, yes, did I like it? Yes, I did like it, but I still, in the end, was disappointed by it. 
like you say, because I was so looking forward yeah. to it. So, uh, so uh, it is out on home video this week. And Replicas comes out as well. Which no one should have high expectations. <laughs> Just don't. There is one thing that this movie has going for it, which is that it takes uh, kind of a left turn philosophically. But you really have to be paying attention, and you won't be by the time it happens. It's Keanu Reeves, and he clones his dead family, and <sighs> he is ex- asked to emote. Uh, there's a tragedy where his family dies. Emote, please, Keanu. There's many tragedies that happen later. Please emote. You know what he can't do? Emote. He seems like a nice man, though. But you can skip this movie. But And just wait for John Wick 3. Um, <laughs> there's uh, a few coming out next week. Well, one big one, two in limited release, High Life and Stockholm. And then you, might, the other? you might have heard of Avengers Endgame. So uh, <laughs> we will talk about that and tell you everybody who really dies. <laughs> No, we won't. No, we won't. Not no spoilers. We'll talk about that next week. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about any of these uh, came out this week, which anything you might have chosen to see, because there's a lot to choose from. You can find us on Twitter. That's easy, at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, we're Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, where you can find all our written reviews and our horror movie podcast, Fright Club, and some other fun stuff. That's at madwolf.com. And we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. That's right. And wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast, please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate that. So until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. <laughs>